0: What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know, but now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades.
1: Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's another all-new Dueling Decades, the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back. I am Mark James, and this week I'll be competing with the best of July 1986 alongside the other duelers, and the decades they
2: will be fighting for.
1: First off, bring in the soulful sounds of the 70s. Say hello to Man Crush.
2: What's up, everybody? That's right. I have July of 1976. And before we get into the episode, I just wanted to give a shout-out to our boy Andre Gower, yeah. who just suffered a heart attack. Uh, hopefully, you know, everything is... It looks like he went home today, so that's good. But uh, head on over to his Instagram. He's having. He has a great attitude about this whole thing. Seems like he's showed a picture today of his shaved chest. And he was like, caption this. So head on over there if you're Monster Squad fans and you know Andre Gowry. He's been on a couple of our episodes. And matter of fact, Mark was even saying, like, why don't you contact Andre to be on this week? Yeah. I don't know if that would have saved him or not. But, hey, get, get well, man. Get better soon.
1: Also returning to the show after being mistakenly locked in the Biodome, please welcome back Trevor Gumbel.
3: Oh, God. I was in there with Polly Shore and Stephen Baldwin. It was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, I am here with the uh, month of July, 1996.
1: And as always, here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. You will know this week's guest, Judge, as the Grammy nominated frontman of the Plain White Tees. And you can check out his solo project, Million Miler, in the new album, Millie, available now. All rise and welcome, Judge Tom Higginson.
4: Hello, hello. Hey, you guys, thank you for having me back. This is one of the coolest podcasts I've ever done, so I'm excited to be back. <laughs> thank you. We need the soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. This is Tom from the Plain White Tees, and I love Dueling <laughs> Decades. There you go.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie, after all five rounds, we will go to a final wild card round. Remember, duelers, to like, subscribe, and play along at home It's time for more Jewel Decades. All right, let's pass it down to Tom Higginson for the coin toss to see who goes first this week.
4: Trevor, you call it. Okie dokie. Okay, I'm going to be flipping um, my brand new album on cassette tape Um, because it is an 80s themed project. Of course, I had to make it on cassette tape. You know, go right along with brand there. Um, So, yeah, instead of a heads or tails... We are gonna do a side one and a side two. Very so nice. what's the what's the call? I will do side two. Okay. Ooh. Side two, huh? Let's see what we got. I've never flipped a tape before. This is good. <laughs> Ooh, it looks like it is side one. Ooh. All
1: right. All right, man crush. You win the tape toss. You take control <laughs> of the board and get to select our first category.
2: All right, I think this is fitting. Let's start with music. Absolutely, I like it. Nice. It's so it's so weird not being live and having Joe like give me hand signals <laughs> and like tell me when to do things. So I'm just gonna go. Uh, so let's go to July 3rd of 1976. And there were a few ways that I could have gone here. I'm not saying that I loved what was released for the month, but I did have some options. This looked like if I looked at this month as a whole, it looked like the official month of compilations, and that's just really not my thing. So once I came across this story. I had to go digging. Uh, this one is good, and it's a first, all right? So we're going to talk about a real household name at the time. It, like, I don't know. I guess it depends on uh, the types of movies your dad was renting back in 1976, <laughs> if that was a thing. Uh, but the name here is Andrea Marie Truden. And in the spring of 1976, Andrea put out her debut album. Of course, this was done under her stage name, which was Andrea True. And the name of that was called More, More, More. And uh, this also went by her and her band's name. So that was the Andrea True Connection. And that little album right there, it would peak at number 47 on the U.S. Billboard 200, and it featured four singles. It had Party Line, Keep It Up Longer, Call Me, not the Plain Y.T.'s song, Call Me, of course, (laughs) Uh, and her smash hit single, more, 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 and of course, the name of the album, which would hit number four on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1976 in July. Couple interesting things here. For one, this album only had five tracks on it. Whoa! But there's a re- there's a reason for that. I'll, I'll get into that. But the last track of this this album. So there's four singles and five tracks. So the only one that was not a single was a song called "Fill Me Up." It's a good, <laughs> good title, right? Anyway. In January of 1976, and this is why it's only a five-song track or EP, Andrew True, she was hired to do some uh, real estate commercials for some company down in Jamaica. While she was down there, Jamaica ends up putting a ban on all asset transfers. So basically, any ma- like any money that she made doing these commercials was tied up, and she was only allowed to spend that money while she was in Jamaica. Since she wasn't able to leave with that cash, Andrew decided to invest the money into a studio demo and she, she does a demo. They let her out of the country with the demo. She finally gets back to New York and she plays a song for some of her friends and she's immediately signed to Buddha records to release this five song EP. And I mean, seriously, it's like kind of like one of them when life gives you lemon story right there, because she had a shit situation. She just nails it. Right. The second part of this, that's super interesting. Andrew True. Would become the first ever porn star to reach the charts, and according to the uh, IAFD, which is the uh, the porn equivalent of IMDb for the Internet Movie Database, Andrea starred in sixty four movies, uh, and by the time this album was released, she already was in like roughly like forty four American pornos. And unfortunately, they didn't have a list of her foreign films from the sixties, <laughs> so there's a bunch more out there. But I give you the Andrea True connection with more, more, more becoming the first ever porn star to chart on the billboards. Matter of fact, getting all the way to number four. And I hope the songs kind of make more sense now. After listening <laughs> to all five five of these songs, I, I listened to them. They're they're pretty lengthy tracks. Like there's a 10-minute track on here. But I would be willing to bet that she wrote these songs if you listen to these. I think you would agree. She wrote these four porn movies, brought them back and just got lucky with this one song and it took off. And by the way, like more, 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 it's not like this is a throwaway. It was actually covered by banana Rama This one it's, but it, it's been in a bunch of commercials. Matter of fact, it was one in just a couple of years ago for, uh, for Applebee's. I wonder if they actually knew the history of the song before they put it on. <laughs> and it was sampled in the, uh, the 1999 track by Len, Steal my sunshine. That's the yep. beat that they got going on in the song.
4: Wow. Wow. So
2: that's what I give you from July of 1976. Love it. It's the Andrea
3: True connection. More, more, more.
1: All right, Trevor, what did you bring for the music round?
3: All right, guys, I'm going to take you back to July 30th, 1996. Uh, this album was like one of the soundtracks of when I was a sophomore in high school. Unfortunately, It was released not long before the lead singer, uh, passed away of a drug overdose. Um, it reached number 13 on the billboard charts, went six times platinum, uh, featured, uh, four singles, uh, what I got Santeria wrong way and doing time. And sadly, like I said, two months, actually, no, it was prior to the release. Uh, Brad Noel was found dead of a heroin overdose and didn't get to see the success of the album. This was their last album, but it was their most successful. So for July, I give you Sublime's self-titled album, Sublime. Love that album. Very nice. Great uh, great album.
1: All right, guys. So for my music selection, uh, in 1986, this front man was coming off the success of a 1985 solo EP called Crazy from the Heat, which mainly consisted of covers and lounge singing staples when he shocked the world by announcing that he was leaving one of the world's largest rock bands to pursue a solo career. So he formed an all-new all-star lineup of Billy Sheenan on bass, drummer Greg Bissonette, and for this album, he grabbed the ex-Zappa guitarist who who Frank himself called his little Italian virtuoso, Mr. Steve Vai, and on July 7th, 1986, David Lee Roth gave us his debut full length solo album, Eat 'em and Smile. The album peaked at number four on the Billboard 200 and was named Album of the Year by Kerrang for 1986. Now, Jeb Gottlieb of the Boston Herald said, Eat 'em and Smile has both an immoral and a ridiculous aesthetic. Like a good cult film, Big Trouble in Little China, or Raising Arizona, it seems cartoonish, unhinged and Out of Another Dimension. All right, so let's take a look at the songs that are on this album. The big single is, of course, Yankee Rose. It's an over-sexualization and a love letter to the Statue of Liberty. Fantastic song. One of my favorite DLR tracks. And Yankee Rose also was uh, Ross' third top 20 solo hit. It reached number 16 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. All right, and then we're going to get to the Uptempo Shy Boy, Now, this is where Steve Vai really dazzles with his solos and all his fills. All right, and if you liked Ice Cream Man back on Van Halen 1, then you're going to love the track I'm Easy. Uh, The Rock Soul Jam, Ladies Night in Buffalo, is up next. And then we got two of my favorite tracks on the album, Going Crazy and Tobacco Road. And the album rounds out with Elephant Gun, Big Trouble, Bumping Grind, not the R. Kelly song, <laughs> and a cover of the Frank Sinatra staple, That's Life. Overall, it's kind of like a fun party album, but what the hell? What, do you, what else are you going to expect from Dave? So, Edom and Smile, July 7th, 1986.
2: Is this the one where his face is like painted on the cover? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So.
1: Let's toss it over to our judge, Tom Higginson, for the verdict on the music round.
4: Okay, so I will have to say um I feel like Mark, I love I love David Lee Roth uh probably more of a Van Halen, you know, David Lee Roth kind of guy. Me and my son listen to Jump all the time. He was actually just the other day uh his friend didn't know the song and I felt like I was watching me like as a little kid dealing with my friends because he was like how do you not know van halen jump it's like the biggest song of the 80s and you know it was was, i was i was proud of my boy you know schooling schooling very nice his buddies on the 80s yeah uh Mm -hmm. but i I think the david lee roth solo album i I was i I missed that one um so unfortunately i'm gonna pass on that one um and now this is a tough one so true or sublime? well i mean okay so <laughs> so trevor i feel like we're probably the same age because i was like in high school at that same time um and as soon as you started talking i'm like thinking okay wait singer died before you even told me it was sublime i knew it was sublime you know yeah. because i lived through that and that was man that guy uh what a voice bradley knoll i mean unbelievable and just a even the musicianship, like, I mean, as like an, as a, you know, a musician and a producer and everything like those albums, those sublime albums, like no joke, they stand up 100% to this day. Just the Absolutely. production, the quality, the songwriting, the vocals, everything about those albums are really ahead of their time and really, really amazing albums. Um, so as much as I want to choose Sublime, um, I kind of feel like Man Crush's story. I didn't I don't know who the hell Andrea True is or whatever. And I don't know the song more, more, more. But I gotta say, that is a crazy ass story. What a what a an, an interesting take. Like, so she's in Jamaica, or whatever you said, she can't make any money, so she puts her money into a demo that Mm. then she brings. So the demo tape she brings to the States and she, I'm assuming, I mean, if she wrote the stuff and it's hers and had a big hit probably made, you know, a million millions of dollars off of. So what an interesting, that alone is, is a genius move. Then throw in the fact that she's a porn star on top of it (laughs) and all the songs like fill me up and, and, Keep it up, or whatever the hell you're, you know, keep it up longer, keep it up longer. Yeah. I mean, it all makes sense. What a crazy ass story. Um, and I think when you said, you know, the kinds of movies your dad rented in 1976, (laughs) that's immediately where my mind went. And I didn't think you were going to. Didn't think you were going to take it there, but you did so uh am I'm, I'm going with there weren't me. too
2: many movies to rent in nineteen seventy six after I were. said that i was like yeah the, the selection was slim, so most like and like the the like the crazy part was she went back to porn
4: wow for
2: for a couple uh i I looked through her IF I whatever the hell it's called, and uh she had some films into the eighties oh wow, and never duplicated that success but uh, unfortunately, she died, I think it was 2011 or 2012 in Kingston, New York, which is not that far from me because she lived by uh, like around the Bethel area where Woodstock is. Um, but it's said in the article that she lived off of the money from that track for the rest of her life. So she did
4: pretty yeah. well. Amazing. Yeah. Offer some commercials. You win this round for sure. Sweet.
1: All right, man crush. You pick up our first point. You take control of the board. What category are we going with next?
2: All right, this is not common, but we're going to go uh movies in the second round here. All right. I want you guys I want to see what you guys have here cuz like I went I have July 3rd, 1976, all right? This is the bicentennial. I don't know if they were not thinking about releasing many movies in July because so much crap was going on with the bicentennial and the parades or whatever, maybe they didn't think they were going to make any money back. So it was a little weird on the release, especially in terms of being like a successful movie and arguably the best Western of all time. Uh, For one, it's the seventies. So, you know, there's fewer screens and it was quite common to get like a rolling release date. We've talked about that on the show before kind of see how well the movie is doing and then put more prints out as they come out, more theaters get them and then they spread it out a little bit more. So typically you would get this on movies that studios are taking a chance on. I mean, shit, like even star Wars is only released on something like 30 screens when that came out because they just didn't know. And this movie, it makes sense though, because it's a Western and in 1976 Westerns weren't exactly pulling in mass crowds anymore. It was more of like an early seventies, 60s thing so in spite of that and seeing so many dates spread out through the month of july i chose a sneak preview of this movie there was uh it was in a theater in hollywood on july 30 1976 and i can't even pronounce the name of the theater so i'm not going to go there i'll just tell <laughs> you it's in hollywood it's, a, it's like pantages
4: oh, all yeah. right sure. P-
2: pantages is that what it is all right that's where that's yeah. where they played it on july the third Uh, But you know what? The ruling release for this flick, it worked because the movie, it brought in around $32 million, which is roughly $151 million in 2021 on a mere $3 million budget. Uh, The movie was also nominated for an Oscar for uh, for best music of all things. But it did have some major accolades here in 1996. The United States Library of Congress said this movie was culturally, historically and aesthetically significant And was preserved in the National Film Registry. So all in all, this is a a pretty remarkable movie. I watched it twice this week. And it's really, it's an amazing Western. It's on Netflix right now. Uh, What I really dig about this movie, as opposed to like Tombstone or something else, it's not romanticized at all. Like, this is the world as you would expect, you know, like during uh, the South, during the Civil War, maybe little post-civil war what it would actually look like not like how tombstone like all the stories are built up it's a lot different than that so if you're in the mood for an amazing clint eastward western it's based on a novel and just a raw look at what it was like to live in the south during the civil war maybe a little bit after amazing quotes where he's talking to ten bear and everything and the dialogue they have going back and forth just amazing but uh, go out and find a copy of the Outlaw Josie Wales. Uh, it's an amazing movie, but a great story about this one. It kind of ties into music. I figured Tom would like this a little bit. I don't know how much you know of this guy, but a great story about Clint Eastwood from this movie is back in 2012. Uh, PBS did this series. It was called American Masters, and they had a show about David Geffen. Well, at the time, David Geffen was this uh, young Warner Brothers film executive in 1976. So David Geffen decided to tell Clint Eastwood, they asked, like, what do you guys think about the movie? It was like this round table. So he, he looks at Clint Eastwood and he's like, listen, I enjoyed the outlaw Josie Wales, but I would cut about 30 minutes from the film. And in a way that only Clint Eastwood can do, like glares at him and he's like, oh, yeah, you go edit it. And then he just gets up starts walking out of the room and David Geffen goes, wait, where are you going? And Clint Eastwood just goes again. The only way that Clint Eastwood could do it. I'm butchering the shit out of it, but it's across the lot to paramount to cut a new deal.
4: Wow. And then
2: David Geffen was promptly fired from Warner brothers right after that. Wow. Damn. Pretty crazy. Right. I mean, he obviously went on to bigger and better things, but not his, uh, shining light right there. And, uh, in 1976 but yeah the outlaw josie wales that's what i got
1: all right trevor what do you have for the movies round
3: well for my pick it was kind of obvious july 1996 uh open july 3rd like man crushes i'm just gonna say right to it it's independence day (laughs) uh roland animeric his opus it's it's a such a good movie it is so fun uh, it earned 104 million in its opening weekend, including 96 million during its five-day holiday opening, which is in '96, especially, is almost unheard of. And it made an extra 50 million on its opening weekend. It made over 817 million dollars at the box office, and I remember um, I had won a special uh, sneak preview pass to see this film. And I remember going to the theater and something happened that just doesn't happen very often. Something, at least not something I had even experienced in my movie going years. People like were cheering. They were applauding. They were laughing. They were going nuts for this movie. I'm like, I have never seen this before in my life. This is awesome. This is, this is why I go to the movies. You know, The theaters around Seattle, where I live, were doing round the clock showings of the film. So people like would go at like midnight or 2 a.m. to see Independence Day. Mm-hmm. After I saw the sneak preview, I was like, I, I want to see this again. So I went and saw it at the Northgate, which had a booming digital sound system then and it sounded great. And I saw it at least three times in the theater and the score by David Arnold is absolutely amazing. It's so rousing and just old fashioned. They just don't make scores like that anymore. Another thing about the film was like, before there was even much footage, they showed a Super Bowl ad for it, and it didn't show anything except the White House getting blown up, and that was like the ultimate teaser for people. So, yeah, my pick for July nineteen ninety six is Independence Day.
2: I saw that four times in the theater. Not to one up yeah. you,
3: but uh, <laughs> amazing, amazing flick. It's so much fun. It's you know not critically adored, but who gives a shit, you know? And then the sequel came out. Oh god. I can I tell you a quick story um before we move on. Yeah. I had um I had a free pass to go to the movies and I went I'm like, you know what? I'll just go see resurgence. How bad could it be? I was the only one in that theater. The only person in that whole fucking movie. I'm sitting there I'm like, I could be making snarky comments and no one would care, but I don't even I didn't even have the energy. I'm like, this is just boring. This is awful.
2: It was so bad. There was no chemistry in that movie at all. No,
3: none. And pretty much they cut out will smith which is like one of the lifebloods of the original the best chemistry in the film is between judd hirsch and the school bus of kids and that's it you know not even jeff goldblum could raise that movie into watchable territory and that's saying something because i love jeff goldblum so yeah that was a disappointing well good thing you had
0: 1996.
1: (laughs) all right gentlemen so I think for my movie's pick, uh, this is one of the few examples of a movie where the sequel is better than the original, you know, even though both of the movies are ranked among the 100 greatest of all time. Uh, So coming to a theater near you, July 18th, 1986, and make sure you bring a friend for this one, because there are some places in the universe. You don't go alone after a space merchant vessel receives an unknown transmission of a distress call, One of the crew was attacked by a mysterious life form, and they soon realized that the life cycle has merely begun. In Aliens, starring Sigourney Weaver, Lance Hendrickson, Michael Bean, and the often overlooked outstanding performance by Paul Reiser as just the absolute ultimate cocksucker. He is just (laughs) horrid in that movie. (laughs) Just the most despicable character ever. So Aliens was directed by James Cameron, who brought some much-needed action to the franchise. And unknown at the time, Cameron took all the terror and tension that had been built up by Ridley Scott from the first film and added just an excitement and just a flare that you'd find normally in an action film. So the movie was not only a box office hit, grossing $131 million, that's $370 million in 2021, kids. But the critics, they love this movie, too. So let's go over to the post star in Glens Falls, New York. Oh, uh, July 25th, 1986.
2: (laughs) We're sure two by four.
1: (laughs) For a review by Jay Bobbin, he says, If nothing else, aliens may be the truest test of how much one person can take from a suspense film. Happily, though, the sequel to the 1979 horror film is much more than that. It's arguably the best realized follow-up to her previous film since The Godfather Part Two, in terms of remaining true to the story and the characters that have already been established, yet developing its own style and intrigue as it unfolds. And then he closes with, Aliens is the perfect summer movie. It's sleek, slick, and built for speed. So I give you Aliens, July 18th. 1986.
2: Game over, man. man. Game over. <laughs> you said that the sequel is better, right? Yeah. I like Alien yeah, more than yeah, I, I like Alien. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Alien's great too, but it's kind of like we posted on our Facebook today. If people are not on our Facebook, go over there at facebook.com forward slash dueling decades. And we posted uh today was actually the 32nd anniversary for Lethal Weapon 2. Right. And it's kind of the same argument. Like, uh, a lot of people like the sequel better than the original, but I always have yeah like i like the originals better usually but in certain cases like this one i think it's just a better movie so i'd agree with you there it's no outlaw josie wells but <laughs>
1: <laughs> well let's hear what our judge tom higginson has to say on the movies round
4: okay so i consider myself a major movie buff like Obviously, I'm, you know, successful with my music and everything. So music, is, it kind of takes the cake. But honestly, in my day-to-day life, I cherish movies right even with music. Like, I, I, I'm i just a huge movie lover. Um So it is very sad. It's a sad moment for me to tell you guys that the three – well two classics and one blockbuster let's just say um that you guys have just presented to me i have not seen any of those three fucking oh, movies.
2: oh my god
4: dude i know i'm all right well like, you got something to do after this wow. oh for sure <laughs> one after i mean the other. i will say that out of the three um I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna have to go with even even though man crush your store i love the story of the outlaw josie Wales. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Mark on this one, just because out of those three, definitely on my list uh, to see would be Alien, the first one, and then, of course, the sequel. And it wasn't the third one. Didn't they bring in like Winona Ryder for that one, which sounds pretty badass as well?
2: That was the fourth one. Oh, the The fourth fourth one. one. Okay. That one, you you can actually skip the fourth
4: one. But Winona, I got to see Winona, you know? (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I'll go with Mark just because I feel like of those three movies, I feel like maybe Alien, I don't want to say it was like the most important, but, you know, I don't know. I'm not a big Western guy. Clint Eastwood is a badass, but I kind of feel like, you know, he had those, I don't know, is, is, is like Outlaw Josie Wales any different than, you know, wasn't he in like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? Yeah, yeah,
2: it's, it's a lot different. Okay. They're they're different films. Um it's not in the series and the whole premise around it is different. Yeah. Okay. Um I think like if you're not into westerns it's tough. It westerns I I caught on to later in life. Like you know when I was younger I I just couldn't get into them. It's kind of like country music. Like hey, when I was younger I was like <laughs> I was like, "Ah, I, I can't do it." But then as I got older I was like, ah, "All right, this is not so bad." Uh it's kind of the same thing. So I don't know, like it's kind of a depressing movie, but it's cool. I sure. don't know. <laughs> well, I know it's, it's definitely... I don't want to give much away now. You haven't seen it.
4: <laughs> it's definitely a class... It, that's not the one... What's the movie where he's got, like, the steel plate under his thing? Like, the famous scene where he gets shot and he's got, like, the thing? Yeah. Oh. The, is that th- those e. Rale, are all part that? of the... Yeah, those are all that's, part uh, of the,
2: the 60s movies.
4: The Sergio Leone. The man with no name. Yeah, yep. yeah. Okay. Um. Well, yeah, so, unfortunately, even though the story was great and I loved the david geffen being a total dumbass <laughs> and clint eastwood being a badass but yeah i'll have to go with and, and you know i'm i'm again i'm right with you trevor with the age and everything and like independence day for some reason it just i missed it and it was like all the hype i think i was probably like ah, oh, like that's too high i'm not gonna go see that because it's too hyped up or it's just this big blockbuster <laughs> it's too popular Right. I mean, that's, you know, but I, I, I'm sure that the movie is amazing because everybody freaking loves it. It's like a no brainer, but oops, well, like a...
2: let me ask you then. Cause like you, you even have a song named Parker Posey. So
4: <laughs> wow. You do your freaking research over here. I yeah, like so that. like,
2: so you guys were, were you into more
4: like independent films during the nineties? So like party girl. And... I mean, dude, that's a great, great, uh, you know, observation because definitely, I mean, nowadays I'm—I well, don't know—I shouldn't say I'm—I'm I'm still I—I'm I, a big independent anything fan, right? Whether it's independent music, independent movies, um, but um, I think definitely at that moment, right? What was it, '96? You're saying,
0: yeah, yeah, that yeah. that
4: would have been my junior year of high school, junior in the senior year, I guess, yeah. 96 would have been my junior summer yeah in the senior year so that was definitely a moment of yeah like kind of discovering the cooler the more unknown you know kind of that indie cred stuff and yeah like like you said man crush like yeah at that that that's when I was writing those songs like Parker Posey you know I think I first saw her in probably Dazed and Confused and was like oh my god she is incredible and then you know, dove into her catalog. Um so yeah, so yeah, I think I just Independence Day might have been just a little bit too like cool. I know this is probably (laughs) amazing. I I love freaking Will who doesn't love Will Smith, you know? But he's the nineties, man. We talked about this before on the show. He's the nineties. So here's here's a clue into my into my Will Smith. I was a big, okay, the fresh prince, but not the fresh prince of Bel Air. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Yep, that's my that's my Will Smith. And then of course I love you know Summertime, great great jam. um But you know, you guys are gonna kill me. Wild Wild West, terrible. Oh, I awful. didn't see it. I didn't see it. Nobody did. Independ- no, people <laughs> love that movie,
2: don't they? No, dude. Like, what was it not even that long ago? It was like a month ago. We did a worst of episode, and my worst of pick for that year. Yep. or for okay. that month
3: wild, wild west awful okay will smith turned down the
4: matrix yeah, to, do to do Wild that. wild west wow damn damn <laughs> yeah so i don't know i i i just missed all all the will smith blockbusters i kind of was like eh. i'm sure they're great but what are they going to really add you know so so i apologize trevor i i know that was a great pick <laughs> but uh yeah, I got to go with the, uh, the the classic of the three, which would be Aliens, I think.
1: And besides, Sigourney Weaver was the better alien ass kicker than Will Smith, anyway. So
3: I, I'll give you that. I'll
1: give
4: you oh, that. Oh yeah, Men in Men in Black. Never saw that one either. <laughs> never saw it. Yeah.
1: All right, gentlemen. So I pick up a point, tie this game, take control of the board, and we're heading into our final one-point round, which is going to be the television round. Mm. All right, so the biggest thing on television, quite literally, in July of 1986 was Old Lady Liberty herself, the Statue of Liberty. So we get Liberty Weekend on ABC. It's a four-day celebration to celebrate the Restoration and the 100th anniversary of the Statue of Liberty. The network paid $10 million for the exclusive rights to broadcast this. But you know what? They more than made up for that $10 million cost as they were able to sell over $30 million in commercial times for the coverage. So coverage of Liberty Weekend started with opening ceremonies on July 3rd. Uh, At noon, we get Peter Jennings and a whole lot of seamen as he anchors a special (laughs) 35-ship naval armada in the New York Harbor. So primetime coverage then goes on at 8 o'clock with opening ceremonies again hosted by Jennings and Barbara Walters. And that included the lighting of the Statue of Liberty Statue of Liberty, by President Reagan and the presentation of the Medal of Liberty, as well as a simultaneous induction of 20,000 new American citizens at Ellis Island and other cities across the United States. So ABC concluded the coverage on Independence Day with the Boston Pops and performances by John Denver, Whitney Houston, Johnny Cash, Barry Manilow, and a bunch of other people that you've never heard of. But the main attraction (laughs) that night was the 30-minute fireworks display. It was the largest fireworks display in American history and the largest in the world at the time. It included 22,000 aerial fireworks and 18,000 single-piece sets. So coverage concluded on July 6th with a sports salute to U.S. athletes, uh, performances by Kenny Rogers, Liza Minnelli, and the Pointer Sisters. So I give you Liberty Weekend on the American Broadcast Corporation, July 1986. Nice. Let's toss it over to Man Crush for his pick in the television round.
2: All right. Just when I thought I brought all the seam into this game, you went <laughs> totally... Topped it with even
3: more semen.
1: Hey, when you think of Peter Jennings, you think
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you
3: think of semen. So, so far, we've got talk about porn stars and semen
2: and all <laughs> oh, it gets better. Let's uh, let's go to television in uh, 1976. Let's go to July 12th of 1976. And I was a bit skeptical going into the summer of 1976. Was I going to find another late night Fred Williamson movie like I did a couple weeks ago? <laughs> Or was it going to actually find something with merit and uh, for the summer TV selections that we've been talking about and that I can remember? I actually find I've actually found something with more long legs than anything that I've ever selected during a summer episode before. I was I was a little shocked. Uh, One of, if not my favorite game show of all time, present show not included, of course, uh, more than 20 seasons six different hosts, thousands of episodes. I don't even know how many episodes exactly because I couldn't even find it online. Uh, the show is, it's absolutely, it's a juggernaut. And it all started July 12th, 1976. It debuted AB, it debuted on ABC Monday, July 12th, 1976 at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But let's go back a couple episodes uh, where I came to bat with the TV wonder boy, Fred Silverman. Do you remember remember this episode? Okay. A quick recap, if you didn't listen to that one, Fred Fred, Silverman, I always want to call him Fred Savage, but Fred Silverman, (laughs) uh, he had left CBS for ABC in June of 1975. And aside from Jiggle TV that we talked about, uh, he basically took ABC to the top. And one of the things I mentioned during that episode was Silverman also fixed the daytime programming at abc and in order to do that he goes and he reaches out to his boy mark goodson who had created the match game on cbs where silverman was for that's where he was and said hey give me something good and mark goodson uh, handed him over richard dawson in the family feud and said "Uh, here take this (laughs) and uh doing what silverman does uh like i said before he started at 130 it wasn't the greatest and he just shuffled it around until he found a fit. And then he did. And Family Feud became the top rated game show on television. Uh, I'm telling you, this dude, Silverman, was an absolute dynamo. He's going to come up again in one of my other picks. Uh, literally everything he touched in the 70s turned to gold. The 80s, much different story. But 70s, <laughs> this dude like was on, right? Uh, so I doubt there's much that needs to be said about the feud. You got Ray Combs. Rest in peace, Louis Anderson, Richard Karn, John O'Hurley, the amazing Steve Harvey. He's been there for like the last 10, 11 years, and he's brought the show back to one of the most watched game shows on TV, but it all began with Richard Dawson in 1976, the host of hosts. This dude would legit kiss every female contestant on her (laughs) lips. Uh, Matter of fact, he liked one contestant so much that he kissed her several times during an episode that aired in 1981 after the episode was over. I think her family was on for like three or four episodes. They went on like a little run. So after they lost, she was getting ready to leave. He goes over to her and says, Hey, can I get your phone number to call you after this. <laughs> and kind of like the way they made it sound like kind of reluctantly. She like passed it over to him. But fortunately for, uh, for Dawson, she gave him the correct number. And this is a score for Dawson. Cause she was 26 at the time. And Dawson was like 51 at this point uh like anyhow he ends up calling her they eventually get married in 1991 they had one daughter uh the former contestant her name was gretchen johnson and she was with him till the day he died in 2012 wow all the way to the end yeah any hoot i give you family feud july 12th 1976
1: (laughs) (laughs) outstanding
3: all right trevor
1: what did you bring for the television round
3: all right i also have another uh television juggernaut that's been going since july 22nd 1996 and is still going today and is still going as strong as it ever was um launched the careers of many many people including uh craig Kilborn, uh steve carell uh stephen colbert samantha b john stewart you know the list goes on you know uh it originally was hosted by uh, craig kilbourne it premiered on comedy central and common segments included This Day in Hasselhoff History. And last weekend's top grossing films converted into Lyra. Yeah, Killborn was succeeded by said John Stewart and Trevor Noah. Uh, yeah, this show is still going strong. It's still as relevant today as it was. It, I think it's become a little less, um, it still has a, a, an edge of satire to it, but it's not as satirical as it once was. But yeah, for my pick, I bring you The Daily Show, premiering on July 1996.
4: Very nice, very nice. Um. Well, okay. So I, damn, these are some tough ones because I actually appreciate all three of these. Uh, unlike the movies that I was clueless, or of course I knew the movies but had not seen them. Clueless was nineteen ninety five. Oh my bad, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now if you would have went clueless, I was right, right there with that one. Ah, oh, man, I, I would say. Um, daily show classic, of course. Um, I almost feel like that is a little bit political for me, for my tastes. I don't know. I feel bad because all of you're like right there with me, but somehow I'm just, I'm just dodging all of your picks for some (laughs) reason. I should have went with sublime. Probably that was great. But
2: Tom, you got to figure though. We, we have, it's not really our picks. Like we just have a moment in time. And this is what time gives us. This is so, true. I, I mean, you know, it, it is kind of is what it is. This is true. Um, yeah. When you, when you. I'll still buy your album.
4: Don't oh, worry. Oh, hey, thanks. <laughs> 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 well, When you first started, for some reason, I was thinking, oh, it's still running now. The Simpsons came to mind. But I'm like, wait, no, that that was the freaking 80 end of the 80s. Right. When the Simpsons started. Yeah. Um. Uh, so, yeah. And I as big of a I actually have had friends who have been on Family Feud, um, which has been pretty hilarious to watch uh, over the years. Um, love that show. But, oh, and by the way, is it Richard, Richard Dawson, right? Is yep. he, wasn't he in The Running Man? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He was Killian. Yep. That was an amazing, amazing movie. Uh, and what a fun role for him, I'm sure at the time. Um. <laughs> But for some reason, I don't know, I don't have as much of a tie to the, you know, the the Statue of Liberty or the restoration or whatever. But for some reason, back when I was a kid, there's something very like, like, it's this weird memory I have of like that, that restoration, you know, and I think it was in that movie, uh, was it like Remo Williams or something? Do you guys know that movie? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Where he's like, <laughs> yes. yeah, he's up on there and he's hanging off of it. And it's like, at that time it was all, you know, like, uh, like scaffolded. the restoration was happening. It was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. It was all scaffolded up. Um, so for some reason that maybe it's from that movie, uh, seeing it as a kid, just the idea of like that Statue of liberty and people being up there and hanging off of bit and, i don't know that's like a, a one of those weird like hauntingly nostalgic like personal memories for me um so i guess i gotta go with you again mark even though i don't know the, oh, you know the the right. tv the abc special for the weekend i don't know uh you know don't recall I that at all on for two days yeah right three. More. yeah <laughs> three days three days had, Whitney Houston, freaking Pointer Sisters, you know, it must have been a big deal.
1: They said that approximately 6 to 7 million people came to New York City just for this event, and that it brought in somewhere between about $500 million into the uh, tourism economy.
4: Wow. And kind of cool that you said they, like, you know, kind of brought a bunch of immigrants into the country at that same moment, like, as part of it. Like, pretty sounds like a pretty cool thing. Reagan lit the goddamn torch, did you say?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, he the
4: torch. He had a machine gun
2: on at the time. He <laughs> yeah. fired it in the air.
1: <laughs> he actually just tossed up
2: a Molotov cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. I knew I should have come with the bicentennial. We had so much bicentennial stuff. This is for America.
3: Hey, Nancy, watch this. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so
1: I pick up a point. Heading into our first two-point round, and I take control of the board. Uh, you know what? Let's uh let's go over to the hot products round.
0: Mm, all right.
1: All right. So for my hot product, we're gonna hop across the pond and we're gonna spend 14 and a half pounds, which is the equivalent of fifty-seven American dollars today, on some concert tickets. To a show I'm sure everybody has either seen clips of or has seen this show in its entirety as it's been released on CD, DVD, shown on television. It was even immortalized on the silver screen in 2018 in a film. So let's have a spot of tea, take our seats for a lineup that consisted of In Excess, The Alarm, Status Quo, and Queen, live at Wembley, Saturday, July 12th, 1986. Now, last week I talked about the final U.S. tour for Jimi Hendrix. Well, in July of 1986, Queen was in the midst of their Magic Tour, which would end up being the final tour with Freddie Mercury and bassist John Deacon. So when you think of all-time great iconic concerts, this is one that always comes up. It's Freddie in the Yellow Jacket. We've all seen it. So the British press at the time, not so favorable, much like how they treated Jimmy at the time. An article in The Guardian said that exactly a year ago, Queen's uh, set at Live Aid was among some of the best-received music of the day. They played for 20 minutes. The show, which Queen are currently hauling around Europe, goes under the banner of the Magic Tour. It lasts two hours, and it's like falling up to your knees in quick-drying cement. It seems like an unshakable argument for the restoration of, of the old 60s package tours. That's where you would have like 12 or 13 artists all playing only like two or three songs apiece. So although they continue to knock out the occasional memorable single, Live, Queen is a a compilation of stodgy English pop rockisms magnified and choreographed with a ritualistic thoroughness worthy of Nuremberg. So (laughs) that's pretty strong words.
2: That's rough. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It says they come from a place where things like hip hop Reggae and even punk never even happened. The article went on went on to knock Freddie's showmanship and how the iconic call and response session he had with the crowd. They knocked that, saying it was inaudible and stupid. You know, just like they knocked Jimmy. Yeah, Freddie was still at the peak of his game, and the fans loved him. They packed the event in that tour. So, I give you the iconic show. It's Queen live at Wembley, July twelfth, nineteen eighty-six.
2: Too bad it wasn't live at Live Aid, 1985.
1: Yeah, see, I like the Wembley show better.
2: <laughs> do you really?
1: I do. I like Wembley better. There's more showmanship, more pomp, circumstance. It's bigger Queen, way bigger set.
2: So, Wait, so I, I missed the beginning. Of so they played for 20 minutes or they played for two hours?
1: In the article, he was talking about how Queen at, at Live Aid played for oh, 20 minutes. Oh, 20 minutes. Gotcha. Their okay. current tour is two hours. And he was complaining that it's too long. Come on. Yeah. Bullshit. Throwing <laughs> yeah. the bullshit flag on that one. Critics. Yep. All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the hot products round?
2: All right, so let's go uh, July 28th of 1976. And we've, we've talked about this TV show before. We've talked about this guy before uh, for good and bad. And as I spoke about last month, this show was nearly on its deathbed at the end of the 1975 season after it finished 49th in the ratings, which is pretty damn low, considering there was only three channels at the time in 1976. But once again, it took the TV boy wonder Fred Silverman <laughs> to turn the show around and make this into a staple of American television. Uh, by the end of 1976, by the end of that season, the show, it skyrocketed from number 49 all the way to number 11 in the ratings. And by the next fall, they would cement themselves as the top rated show on television. But aside from Silverman, this show was saved by Arthur Fonzarelli. Right after season three ended in March of 1976, people just could not get enough of the Fonz. And I'm going to give you a little piece of an article that I found where they're talking about uh, some merchandise here. So according to Allison manufacturing company who had sold more than one, sold more than a million Fonzie t-shirts since the craze mushroomed in March. Of course, we're talking about March of 1976 Fonzie items are the single biggest item they have ever sold, especially within a four month period. Sales have surpassed merchandise, which displays Batman davy crockett which i get apparently i had to look this up this was like the biggest thing of the 50s but blue past whatever they did with davy crockett and hosts of baseball players who were going on in the 70s and they said a, like a typical like fad based marketing of like a well-known face typically has a life expectancy of about four months however the fonzie stuff it's creeping into its sixth month of cult them and this is part of the article right here. It says, "In spite of that success, numerous Fonzi items have been released this month to wild success. Fonzi jewelry, a Fonzi guitar, and now a Fonzi 10-inch replica doll by Mego International. This is funny, coincidentally. So this was also a contract year for actor Henry Winkler. So Winkler's character Fonzi, from the first season to now is now worth three times what he was worth since the beginning of this show started in spite of that overnight stardom Winkler ends up signing a new contract with ABC going from $8,000 an episode that of course is 1976 to $20,000 per episode, which again, this is like a drop in the bucket to Paramount who has made a hefty eight figure sum in the last four months alone just on the likeness of his character. That doesn't mean like they didn't create any of these products. They didn't do shit. They just said, Hey, you want, we'll license this to you. You make whatever you want and we'll take uh five, 10% of it. And they made a shit ton of money in four months. So I give you the hottest product of July of 1976, probably for the entire year of 1976. And that's Fonzie. We have shirt. This is all the stuff that I found in newspapers from that month. Shirts, hats, necklaces, buttons, pillowcases, knee socks, panties, thermoses, paint-by-the-numbers, bean bags, jeans, guitars, dolls, bomber jackets, and posters. Anything with Fonzie on it, if you buy it, you're the coolest kid on your block. So, hey, Fonzie.
1: Do they have the Fonzie bike that I picked in a previous episode where the ad said, hey, sit on it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> they probably did. Like, dude, there were some of these places are running out of stock on Fonzie merchandise. So if you went into the classified section, which I like to do sometimes on hot products, because you know, you know, if something's really a hot product, if somebody was reselling it in the classified. So I'll go over to the classifieds and I'll see like, if anything's popped up a few times, dude, there was like Fonzie jewelry. That's where I found the Fonzie panties. Who was buying Fonzie panties, but apparently somebody was
1: Potsey. (laughs)
2: He was wearing them on his head.
1: (laughs) Hey. All right, Trevor, what did you bring for the hot products
3: round? Okay, well, how do I follow up Fonzie Panties? (laughs) This product was first announced in July 1996, and the co-founder, Steve Perlman, is credited with the idea for the device. Uh, He first combined computer and television as a high school student when he decided his home PC needed a graphics display. He went on to build software for companies such as Apple and Atari. While working at General Magic, the idea of bringing TV and computers together resurfaced. Uh, one night, Perlman was browsing the web and came across a Campbell's Soup website with recipes. He thought that the people who might be interested in what the site had to offer were not using the web. It occurred to him that if television audience was enabled by a device to augment television viewing with receiving information or commercial offers through the television, then perhaps... The web address could act as a signal and the television cable could be the conduit. This kind of was the godfather of kind of what we see today with like smart televisions and, you know, using our phones and having the internet basically everywhere we need it to be. This thing wasn't the hugest hit. It only lasted until September 2013. It later was absorbed into MSN TV, TV. but yeah, my hot product for July 1996 is the introduction of web TV that's right
2: papa man crush was uh all
3: over web tv <laughs> that's how we got online
1: oh wow all right let's toss it over to our judge tom higginson for his ruling on the hot products round
4: okay uh well i mean again trevor i'm sorry uh, the web tv i don't think is you know what I'm out. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't blame you on, on this one though. I don't feel as bad because I mean, you you're, we're dealing with the Fonz and queen, you know, how can you really compete with that? Um, and honestly, I kind of feel I, I I'm going to go just because on uh, a technicality, although as soon as you were talking about one of the most, you know, biggest concerts of all time, I immediately thought, queen at wembley that's like i i own the dvd upstairs you know like that's just one of those iconic moments in in music history live music history um but i don't know a ticket to the concert i know it's kind of a product but i don't know i I, for some reason i'm drawn to the fons, the fons merch it's just an interesting and i love the idea again of like I didn't realize that Happy Days was kind of like tanking, and yeah, like the first
2: terrible. It was terrible. And then season.
4: your uh, your little your your TV freaking I don't know, Golden Boy was it? What what did he? How <laughs> Fred, did he? Fred Silverman. What is it? Just a matter <laughs> of finding finding the right time slot for these shows? Or yeah, what did he... for
2: for that one because that was already on ABC while he was at CBS. As a matter of fact, he had good times on at CBS at the time. That was head-to-head with Happy Days, and it was killing Happy Days. So when he got over to ABC, he was like, "No, no, no, no. let's move it." So they hmm. he, he swapped everything around, and I'm just picturing this is you know, the 70s, 70, 75 or 76. He probably had like these billboards on the wall where he's just sliding in <laughs> names. Yeah, totally. He's like, "Nah, nah, we're gonna put this here. We're gonna do this," and it, dude just knew what he was doing, and then like. Again, if you guys didn't, if you missed that episode, I think it was like a month ago because it was a June. I had June of 1975 at the time, and I go all over all of the shows. Even when this dude was at CBS, this guy had mash like he killed it at CBS. And then he goes to EBC and he kills it again. Mm -hmm. And then he goes to NBC in the 80s and just doesn't kill it.
4: But he had a good run. He had a kick
2: ass run for
4: a while awesome it reminds me of, of creating the set list for like a live show you know yeah. what songs you are gonna play that? but it's like okay what's gonna what should we open with you know what what's gonna go good after that you try to think of the flow of the audience so I know it's totally not the same but it kind of a, probably a similar thing where we've got all these shows what's that like perfect you know perfect order so that people will continue to watch or yeah I I
2: think about that all the time. Like how much, like from show to show, do you guys, so do you look at one show and you go, ah, that didn't quite work out. Let's switch this one and this one. Or do you just say this is what we're doing for the tour. We're going to carry it over. Maybe we'll switch, you know, the end or something.
4: Well, I mean, that that's kind of a funny question because for me, I'm Mr. Optimistic. Like I put a lot of thought into that stuff. So it's like, okay, you know, when we finally have this is the set, we're going with this and then we'll play a show or two. And then like Damar, our drummer, will be like, I don't know, that, that one felt weird right there. Like I feel like people and then it's like son of a bitch, you know, so now I got to go re-, re reevaluate it and change some stuff around, even though I'm like, no, oh, that was awesome. But like, well, all right, let's try some stuff, you know, and it kind of keeps it fun, honestly, to change some stuff around and, you know, mix it up a little bit.
3: You just went to your drummer and said, "You do the editing," and walked away. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
4: See, now, now that I've got that quote, I'm um, it's all totally different different game from here on out for sure.
2: I always wondered about that though, for real. I always thought when I was younger, I thought that it was like whatever came to your mind. Like this is how stupid I was when I was young. I was like, yeah, they just go to the show. And then they play a song and they go, they turn around everybody else. Cause I think I probably got it from movies, which I got everything from. Right. And I went, Oh yeah, we're doing this one. And everyone was like, yeah, yeah we're going to do that one. And they play it. Totally. How
4: often does that actually happen or I, never? I mean, once in a blue moon, there'll be some request, or Somebody will be, you know, requesting some song that's not on the set list. And we kind of, but it's never like a, all right, guys, we're doing this one. Let's go. And we just all play it. There's never that moment. It's always like a, wait, do we know that one? Should we, should we try it? I don't know. I don't remember the solo, whatever. Um, But if you guys have ever been to a Bruce Springsteen show, that is like literally like people will hold up signs and he'll be like, all right, we're doing that song. And the whole band, like, you know, he's the boss. So they've got to like know all everything and be super tight. And they just roll. And it's like a, You know, and then not only do they just kind of roll on, like, song requests, but then they'll also just, like, jam the songs out for, like, five minutes longer. You know, the song should be ending, but they're just, like, having fun jamming and throwing solos in and stuff. It's it's a pretty cool experience. So, yeah, we need to include some of that uh, spontaneity that the boss brings, for sure.
2: That's why he's the boss. Exactly. Well,
1: you were the boss of that round, apparently, Man Crush. We're heading into the final news round.
2: All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the power that I have right now. I'm gonna defer. Oh, all right. So I'll I'll use my deferral and I will go over to uh, Trevor. I'll give you a deferral right here. You can bring the news round. You can wow Tom because Tom
3: was around in 1996. So maybe <laughs> this is your round. I thought I had a good news story set up. But upon further thought, I thought, you know what, this is kind of a dark story. I don't think I want to bring this up. <laughs> um, my new story was going to be the Olympic Park bomb. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh, wow! Damn!
0: And
4: then I, then
3: I and then I <laughs> thought a, to myself, at least you didn't, we at least we didn't start the episode with that. Yeah. No. And then I thought to myself, you know what? Last time I went with a sort of dark pick, which was I think the gods and monsters pick. Yeah. I got so much shit for you guys. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to put myself up for this again. So my pick to quote Jeff Goldblum, these scientists in Scotland were so preoccupied whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think that they should. This was the first incidence of cloning in history. uh, First mammal cloned from an adult somatic cell using the process of nuclear transfer. And it came from Dolly the Sheep named after Dolly Parton because, you know, of course you make that connection. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) <laughs> yeah dahlia sheep born july 5th 1996 at roslyn institute in Melothian, scotland uh died february 14th valentine's day bummer mm. 2003 at roslyn institute Midlothian, scotland um she is currently at the national museum of scotland her remains are on display which i don't know why i find that kind of creepy <laughs> yeah, kinda weird. i don't know why it's kind of weird they got the remains of a of a clone dead sheep on display and yeah i mean no. Nah. So my new story is the birth of the first cloned mammal, Dolly, the sheep. Nice. Wow.
4: All right.
3: You want to just skip and just pick one of theirs? Tom? I mean,
4: <laughs> hey, no, that's be a better. good one. I, I remember, uh, I remember as soon as you said clone, I I thought sheep. I, I remember that story for sure. Yeah. Big deal.
2: You know, it's funny in my, I just found my high school yearbook after years, like a couple months ago, we found it in a box And when they sold, I graduated in 1996. And at the end of the yearbook, they put like this year highlight section. And one of the pictures is of the uh, whatever that actually, no, it couldn't have been. But I no, because you were July of 96. Yeah. So maybe it was when they were planning it or something. But that's definitely in there where they have the pictures of the sheep. Because I remember seeing it in there. So she probably hadn't been born yet. No. That was a big story. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, absolutely. All
1: right. So for my news story, we're going to head over to the Palm Beach Post out of Florida, July 8th, 1986, where a headline reads, Joyner shatters world record in heptathlon. Jackie Joyner put on a series of remarkable performances and shattered the world record in the heptathlon by more than 200 points with the first 7,000-point total in history at the Goodwill Games yesterday. Joyner's performance highlighted another big day for the American athletes in the multi-sport festival. Americans took the lead in the gold medal count from the Soviet Union, 22-21. to 21. So, today, the 7,000-point barrier has only been breached on 10 occasions in history. Six of those entries all say Jackie Joyner-Kersey. And in 1988, she would set the bar high yet once again, breaking her own record with a mind-blowing 7,291 point total. So the woman's outdoor heptathlon consists of seven events. So you got the 100-meter hurdles, the high jump, the shot putt, 200-meter hurdles, the long jump, the javelin throw, and the 800-meters. So the article goes on to say that Joyner is the first American woman to hold a world record since 1932 at the Olympic Games. Years later, Sports Illustrated voted Jackie joyner Kersey the greatest female athlete of all time. So I give you Jackie joyner Kersey bringing home the gold at the Goodwill Games, July 7th, 1986.
2: You know it's funny the uh your voice sounds like mine. It's gone, <laughs> man. It's fucking gone. We're both shot. <laughs> like, I like in my defense I went to uh my first concert in 18 months on Friday. Yeah. And I was screaming like a complete moron. Uh got to meet uh Brendan B Brown was there from Weeds. Got we met uh after they played and uh got to see living color oh, in the wow. pouring rain who was amazing. Uh, but yeah, my voice is completely shot. So I, dude, I totally feel you. <laughs> it looks like you have some, uh, some like uh tea there. I'm drinking a beer.
4: It's not oh, really
0: helping yeah. me.
4: <laughs> By the way, uh, did you say Wheatus? Yeah. Did we talk about Wheatus? Because I feel like maybe he's doing a bunch of podcasts right now as well, but no, but uh, Brendan was on here probably a month ago yeah. about today. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well I love Teenage Dirtbag is legit one of my all-time favorite songs like to oh, the point amazing. where it I I will like like that third verse where it's the girl it literally like I tear up like I I like my eyes water every time I hear that song because there's just something so fucking cool you know it's like the loser kid gets the girl cuz she's a loser too it's like it's the coolest like flip like songs really don't have plot twists normally. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so that song just always just killed me. And the melodies are so good. The lyrics are so good. Again, the production is great. Um, So, yeah, if you happen to talk to him again, tell him that I'm a big fan. That's <laughs> a really, really beautiful song. Love that one. Uh,
2: well, I don't know. You mentioned kill there. So I, I figured I'd tell you this. He told us what that song is actually about. And there were teenage kids that killed another kid. Wow! And they were dirtbags. And he was also a dirtbag because he wore, like, Iron Maiden shirts and shit. So he wrote that song back then. And this this happened in uh, Long Island, New York, yep. in the 80s. And uh, that's actually what it was about because he was telling his whole story about it. I was, like, fucking mind blown. I was, like, wow. wait a minute.
3: <laughs> well. Yeah. It kind of makes more sense with the lyric. Her boyfriend's a dick. He brings a gun to school and he'd probably sure. kick my ass if he knew the truth. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild, but uh you super cool guy, man. Uh He came on, he actually, he broke out his acoustic. Oh, no way. Did it on the show. Uh, like amazing. And it was funny cause he forgot he had his headphones in. He's halfway through and he's like, forgot I have my headphones in. I hope I'm not like doing this all a And we're like, dude, it sounds perfect. <laughs> Uh, It was great.
1: All right, man crush. Well, it's over to you to wrap up with your pick for the news round. What you got, man?
2: All right. So let's go. uh, Let's go July 20th 1976. This one right here. It's shocking to me because of the time period. Obviously, I knew this happened, but until I read the full details, I I never thought about how amazing technology was in 1976. Uh, But here's a story about NASA's Viking one. Which, if you didn't know, this is the first successful Mars rover ever. If Viking 1, it would last on Mars for, like, six years until 1982. Uh, They had, like, a faulty software update or some shit, and it uh it killed the satellite. It, like, turned it the wrong way or something, and They it lost connection. And uh, years later, I'll get into the story in a second, but I found this interesting. I think it was, like, 2006. Uh, there was another observer whatever that was taking uh, photos of Mars, and they found where Viking 1 was in wow. the area. And it was, it was only like one kilometer away from where they thought it was in 1976, which is wild to me. Uh, but this article itself is just insane. Keep in mind, this is 1976. We're not talking about 2021. We're not talking about the 90s. So about 1976, you know, like just think about the technology that we had in 1976. Video games sucked ass. Like we <laughs> we didn't have like we were listening to records. All right, so this is uh Viking One lands on Mars. Viking One rode a parachute and a cushion of rocket power to a smooth landing on Mars Tuesday and discovered a rocky, rolling desert with sand dunes under an unexpectedly bright light. Afternoon sky this is the most amazing part. I obviously can't show you the pictures of this because we're on a podcast or you, if you watch this on video, maybe Joe will be so cool to throw these in, but Google the Viking One Mars pictures they're amazing these are they're two amazing black and white photos from this thing just setting down on Mars and taking photos and sending them back to earth and not only that, this paper that I'm reading this from was from July 21st, 1976. So they got these pictures back from Mars, 214 million miles away in 1976. And they're pristine. If you Google image it, you'll find them and you'll be blown away. Just keep in mind the year. Uh, but its first two black and white pictures displaying clarity never seen before from a robot explorer. It appeared as if they had been taken at a sunset and desert in Nevada. It's a very exciting place, said astronomer Carl Sagan. His name should be familiar. Mars is an extraordinarily interesting place. The seven-foot-tall spacecraft landed only 17 seconds late after an 11-month voyage from Earth 214 million miles away. Viking was quickly transformed into a nuclear-powered science observatory bearing the flag of the United States and a bicentennial emblem honoring the nation's 200th birthday. Uh, there was another article that I found though. There was even more interesting than that. And it was just the, the response from around the planet at the time in 1976 that this was happening. Of course, you know, we're in the cold war. So the, the first two, the first country to come out with Soviet Union were like, wait a minute, we've done this already. We've done this already. Well, the thing was they weren't successful. They, they did it and their, their rovers just like shit the bed, like immediately, So they're talking about these two other rovers that they had because they had two of them at the time that made it and they completely sucked and nobody cares about them because it didn't work. Uh, But then you had France. They had the prestigious Le Monde, which is like a gigantic newspaper uh, reporting that the Vikings landing in a three column front page headline. And then uh, you had a Dutch radio report on Viking every single hour. And the Dutch evening newspaper, it splashed across the front page. Same thing about the lander Uh, in Venezuela. Radio and television stations provided periodic bulletins all about the lander after the morning uh, is landing. And then in Mexico City, uh, the newspaper El Universal uh, Graphico, uh, their headline said Triumph of Earthling Science, which I thought was awesome because... (laughs) It's really what it is like. Yeah. (laughs) United States did it. We we put this this rover on Mars, but it was really an accomplishment for everybody, because I'm sure, you know, being in the United States, we had people from every country that were involved in this. And this was actually, uh, according to this article, the Mexican newspapers treated the Viking landing as bigger news than the Olympics that was actually going on in July of 1976. And if you notice, I didn't mention the Olympics one time until now. And it was dwarfed by this story of the Viking one lander. Uh, So it just goes on and on. There's just praise from all around the world that, you know, this was happening. And of course, we look at it now. We've had tons of rovers since not tons, but several rovers since then go there and, you know, do all this stuff on Mars. I'm not a scientist. I don't know what the hell they're doing, but it's amazing how far this thing is away. And in 1976, we're sending these pristine images back of what it looked like. And now we look at these and we get them from the rovers that we have up there now. We're just like, we t- kind of take it for granted because we've seen them our entire lives. But 1976, nobody knew, I, What did you know? What was going to be on the planet? This thing landed. And everyone was probably like, what's there? Like, what, what is it going to show? And then it shows like a desert, you know? <laughs> but it's just, it's pretty wild. But yeah, it's the, uh, the Viking one landing.
4: Very cool.
1: All right, let's toss it down to Tom Higginson, our judge for this episode, and his final ruling on this game.
4: Um. Okay, so I kind of like give could give two shits about news normally, right? So when this was the last <laughs> category, I was kind of like, oh, great, here we go. Can we do movies again or something? You know? <laughs> but I got to say that all three of these, I was like, these are, these are some great, uh, you know, great moments in history for sure. Um, I'm a big, I actually, uh, you know, I told you guys, I've got my million miler, my 80s solo project. Um, so I'm, all, you know, it wasn't, was Flojo, right? It wasn't that her nickname? Jackie Joyner Kersey, right?
1: That was, no, that was actually her sister-in-law.
4: That oh, was for like real? a whole family. Yeah. Oh, wait. Lauren joined her. Right. Yeah. She okay. married her sister. Right. Sure. Okay. So, anyway, super like, like, uh, iconic. I guess apparently family, but you know, those names are names that I haven't heard in 30 years, but yet instantly I'm like, oh, yeah, you remember that because it's such a big right. deal. And, and she was obviously a huge deal. Um, apparently I, was too young to understand that that was two different people but that's okay <laughs> um so you know that definitely uh you know hits a soft spot with me with the 80s thing and that nostalgia um i've also got my my record label that i put out these albums on um, is called humans were here and we have you guys probably can't see this but our logo is like little astronaut humans were here so you know, the uh the Viking, all of that, that's super interesting to me. Just the, the just of the, the the fact like you said, the technology in the in the seventies is sending pictures back. We're on Mars. What the hell's going on? The the just the 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 exploration of the unknown is just so fascinating. Um but I don't know, maybe it's just because I feel bad, but I mean <laughs> I don't know, dude, Dolly the Sheep, that was a big ass deal. And I remember that happening. And I mean, I kind of feel like to this day, there's still everyone in the world is still conflicted, like cloning, like, is it, is it going too far? Is it, you know, can we use it for good? Is it like, you know, sacrilegious, you know, there's so many levels to the idea, even the, just the, the idea of cloning um and the fact that yeah it all started with your story so trevor i'm I'm going with you on this one that's a hell of a story man that's a great one so yeah i don't know why people are
2: against that like just do it i mean well yeah, especially like over this past year with like covid and everything imagine you could just clone like it's like ah uh, sorry you whoever died we're just gonna clone them I'm like oh okay they did
3: clone helen hunt and gave us lily sobieski um, <laughs> i don't
2: think that was real
3: <laughs> they cloned Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and we got Javier Bardem. Uh, <laughs> no, it's backwards.
2: Oh, I think we Jeffrey. started with with Bardem. We started with <laughs> Bardem. They
4: gave us okay. What are the scores? I was even trying to think. I'm like, wait, I don't even remember who's
1: winning right now. It, or is, what. it is currently two to two to two.
4: No oh. shit.
3: Wow. I didn't think I'd need this. <laughs> <laughs>
4: so we're
1: gonna head to the final wild card round. We'll try to keep this one brief. Uh, so. I went back and forth with my picks for the movies round of which movie I should choose. Aliens, or another choice I had was Maximum Overdrive. And then my third option was this movie, which, ugh, if it's between this and Aliens, it's a hard choice. Really just goes upon what mood you're in at the time. Man Crush, I think you know where I'm going with this one, because you know what old Jack Burton always says. That's right. I'm going. Big Trouble in Little China, released July 2nd, 1986. It's just one of the all-time classics. I think it's my favorite John Carpenter film. I know that's blasphemous because of Halloween, but... Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's what I'm going with. Wild Card Round, Big Trouble in Little China, with uh, good old our friend Kurt Russell, good old uh, Jack Burton.
4: I will say I have seen that one, so we got that that going for me. (laughs)
1: All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the wild card round?
2: All right, so let's go uh, July 20th, 1976. Uh, Hammer and Hank Aaron at the age of 42 <clears throat> in his 23rd season in the league hits his final and 755th home run off Angels pitcher Dick Drago. And that record right there would stand as you know most home runs over the career for 31 years. Uh but, I would say like matter of fact i w- I would kind of say a lot of people still have Hank crowned as that champ, yeah, since there's no asterisk next to Hank's name, you know he was just around for twenty three years and he just kept hitting him. There was never any talk of steroids or anything like that. He just did it uh but here's the thing: that home run ball, right, so you could take this as you will you could it could either be the Hank Aaron 755th home run, or this could be a hot product. This is kind of like a double in this one. It's a double okay? whammy.
0: It's a double whammy.
2: So that home run ball, it was caught by a seasonal groundskeeper named Richard Arndt. All right. And art only spent one summer working for the brewers. And then he ended up selling this ball in 1999 for $650,000. Here's the thing. Unfortunately, Hank Aaron, he suffered like knee issues in his final season. So he only played 85 games. So at the time, no one really thought this was his last home run. They just thought it was another home run. But dude, what a steal for this dude. He like he was there. He got the ball and (laughs) made out. But yeah, at the same time, Hank hits his 755th home run.
1: Nice. All right, Trevor, what did you bring for the wild card round?
3: All right. I'm going to preface this by saying any goodwill I may have accrued in this past hour or so may just be shot to hell after I give you my pick. It was going to be between <laughs>
0: oh,
3: my music. This was my music pick. Uh, one of my music picks. I was going to be between this and Sublime. Um, I admit when I first heard this group, I thought to myself, yeah, it's a catchy little pop song. It's not going to last. This is Flash in the Pan if I've ever heard it. I was
4: way, way wrong. Wait. Plain White Tees were not around that early. <laughs> but, uh, just, kidding. just kidding. Go ahead. Sorry to go, interrupt. Go.
3: <laughs> this single debuted in the UK on July 8th, 1996. It was a phenomenon. I mean, they had two multi-platinum albums. They had their own movie. There's rumors of a reunion tour. And they're a guilty pleasure of mine. And I enjoy them to this day. The debut of the Spice Girls.
4: I knew you were going there with the movie. I'm like, wait, move. I'm like, oh, Spice Girls.
3: Were you dreading it or anticipating?
4: <laughs> well, as we talked about, uh, I was getting a little indie minded, and you know, <laughs> in those the 90s, late 90s. And, and the Spice Girls didn't quite fit into that. You guys notice, like, the, you know, there's like a, of course, there's the 80s resurgence with Stranger Things and all that kind of thing. Um, but there's this also a little bit of it's kind of leading into a 90s resurgence right
0: yeah. but
4: like for me and i'm assuming you guys are all we're all kind of in the same boat i feel like age-wise um like for me the 90s i think of nirvana i think of like grunge i think of like my so-called life i think of yeah, you know
0: yeah.
4: and i feel like the new like I don't know when people like when kids nowadays think of the nineties, it's the spice girls and it's like Britney Spears. And it's like all of that, or maybe Britney it's Spears like, would have been 2000, but you know, it's oh, no, that, no, no, that, no, you're right. That's, yeah. that's late nineties. Late yeah. yeah. They yeah. go way more to like that pop stuff that I don't know for me at the time was a little bit like, not like cheesy. I mean, dude, I'm a, I'm a, I love a great pop song, you know, but like, I don't know, to me, the nineties were, were this other thing. I don't know. Yeah. Do you guys feel that same way?
3: Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Well, to me, the '90s was like it was it was a whole variety of different genres because you know there was also you know I was also into pop. I was into indie. I was into you know grunge. I was into the to the R and B and the rap stuff. It was it all kind of melds with me. It was never It was just,
2: experimentation
3: exactly. It was 90s, never just yeah. one genre. I was I was associating with the '90s. It was a whole kind of plethora of of genres, and I think that's why. I kind of connect with '90s music more than um other decades.
4: Sure, and I mean, I think that started because nowadays I feel like you you got you, you ever everybody listens to everything, you know. And I feel like definitely back in the day, it was you were like a punk rocker or you were like you know an indie kid, like you wouldn't listen to the Spice Girls. But I feel like you still knew that the Spice Girls were. Were fucking good, you know. You still knew those songs were great, and I kind of feel like that started like slowly, kind of closing the gap where you could have, you know, like a Machine Gun Kelly right next to Drake, right next to I don't know, whatever rock, you know, the Foo Fighters or something, all on the same. Don't you think it's, the you think it's an way.
2: availability thing, though? Uh, comparative, if you look at you know over time how we consume music now. So we consume music now. Like I just, I talked to a friend today. He, I swear to God, he sent me a picture and he said, "I'm burning CDs for my party on Saturday," <laughs> and it was a picture of uh slaughter. It was a slaughter burn CD. Hold wow. On. I'm li- hold on. Let me grab exactly what it was. Yeah, it's a slaughter burn stick it to you CD he sent me, and he's like, "I'm burning CDs for my party on Saturday," and I was like, "Dude, you want me to just like." Do you have like a Bluetooth speaker? And he's like, no, all my stuff is old. All I have is wires. Huh? So like, don't you think like at a point, like how we consume music kind of changed what you listen to? Because if you were listening to like a pop radio station, that's all you knew. Yeah, sure. You know, like you, you probably never changed the dial to something else. And if you did, you just change it to maybe like an alternative radio station. And that's all you listen to it wasn't like you were like continuously moving back and forth. Whereas nowadays we can just, you know, our kids, like I look at my daughter's 15 and she could just throw on Spotify and go from one genre to the other yeah. seamlessly, not totally. need to own anything and right. just kind of cross genres. And it's like, you know, it's completely, there's all the lines are gray. Like, do you, do you feel like that? Like, especially as a musician, do you feel like, that affects music in a good way or a bad way. Like,
4: yeah, everything's kind of like this. Like where are we going? Totally. I feel like that's a good point. Like you had to literally invest in the artists that you like or the, the genre that you liked, you know, because the only way of hearing these artists were to buy, pay $15 for the CD, you know, Mm -hmm. back in the day
2: or get into a Columbia house.
4: Yeah. Right. Oh God. Yeah. And then we did- <laughs> well, they also had uh, they also had k- singles, uh those little true, yeah. yeah true. So I had a lot of those. So I, yeah, I kind of went from like, like when I was in junior high, I was all about like crisscross and boys to men, and <laughs> you know, like I said, the fresh prince was probably right around there. Um, and then yeah, once I got into high school, I was just like you know, Pearl Jam and Nirvana came along. Actually, I, did, I guess they were out already, but they were yeah. I think my ears, I was like, I'm like grown up now. I have my tastes are refining and I, I understood them all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, I was like all about, it was like, that was my world. Started going to concerts, you know, started just living that like that alternative rock scene. Like that was, that was, that was what I identified with all my friends. You know, we just go to concerts every weekend and that was our life. Um. So I think that there was definitely a cool, there was a, you know, it was, it was a great time and there was a place for that. But to answer your question, I kind of, I mean, you know, you can't really argue with the convenience that you have now. And as an artist, I mean, of course, I'd rather have a million people pay $15 for my album, (laughs) but, but I mean, if, if, a million people go and listen to a song on their Spotify or you know make throw it in a playlist that they have that they listen to when they go to the gym or they listen to when they're on some road trip with with their family or with their buddies or whatever it is it's like that's just you know you can't really argue with with technology with progress right. um so i mean i just i i see the positives i guess as an optimist you know instead of being like damn it i don't get paid as much or you know it's worse for the artist 10
2: million albums
3: (laughs) very old old man yells at clouds right
4: (laughs) yeah i i would rather like embrace it and um you know just the fact that like yeah like you guys right now i mean if you wanted to listen to million miler you (laughs) you you easily could in five seconds from now you could be listening to it whereas that's never been the case before. That it was impossible before. I guess before iTunes. You know, you'd always have to leave your house, go to a store, or do the Columbia House, which was obviously a Ponzi scheme. But um, yeah, the, the convenience is definitely like unparalleled. Like you kind of can't beat that. There you go. There I am. See, yeah. I'm on your phone right now. Um, it's funny for uh, one of my buddies back when De- Heather Delilah was blowing up um they were like they came up with the most genius pickup line they said like oh you should like go up to girls and be like hey like you probably already have me in your phone because they had like <laughs> hey delilah but that that's just it's the 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 beauty of it is that anything is accessible um and yeah i mean as much as like of course i would love to get paid more or i would love to you know all of those streaming services they should probably be a little bit more artist friendly with their, you know, royalties and stuff. I've heard, I've heard it sucks. It sucks. But I mean, but again, it's like, like I said, you can listen to me right now if you wanted to. So that, that convenience and accessibility is kind of, that's pretty magical. So you can't really, honestly,
2: honestly, Tom, like what weighs more to you? Like the fact oh, that somebody could just pick up a, their phone million, and listen to
4: you, yeah. One million percent would rather have, like, a million people listen to my song or know know the song, or like connect with the song, right? Like that's that's the the utmost success to me. Like the fact that like a song like Hater hey Delilah, like it's not just like, oh yeah, that's I remember that song that was you know heard on the radio. People like have a connection. I know not everybody of course, but like like that's people's favorite song. You know, what I mean yeah. it's not just like a song that was hot on the radio for a second. Like people fucking love that song and really connected with it. That by far outweighs anything. The fact that I made some, you know, a piece of art that that really made people's lives better in some way. You know, that's that's the real level of success to me so to answer your question yeah the fact that million people right now could listen to my song and or have access to it way cooler than you know selling a thousand albums because I'd make more if, you know selling a thousand right. albums than a million streams but I'd still <laughs> rather have the rather have the million streams because you know you, you make art to to get it out there and to connect, you know? So that's what it's, what it's all about for me. Did
2: you ever think about how many dudes got laid by girls named Delilah because they played that song to them? Dude, for sure.
4: And I'm, I'm always, (laughs) dude, the the stories I've heard are are so great. Like people always like some dude will tell me, yeah, dude, like I lost my virginity because I played, (laughs) you know, Hey there, Veronica to this chick in, you know, in high school or whatever. Like, it's so funny. I had and to me when I wrote that song, I was like, okay, damn, I really love this song. This is I know this is really good, but like no one's gonna relate to it because right. it's so specific. How many people are named Delilah? New York City, you know, how many only people like I thought it was so specific that it was alienating, you know? But obviously it's it's the opposite. It's like because of those details. I feel like people like anybody in the world that was like away from their loved one, whether it was for a year, a day, whatever it was, it was like they that became their song, you know, Uh, and I I never even really understood that in writing it or or putting it out. Do you, do you know how many deployment babies you're probably responsible for? (laughs) Dude, absolutely. That was one of the biggest things we we've done. We've been able to do some of those, like, you know, um, we, we, we have played in Navy bases and all things like that all around the world. And that was a mind blower to me. Like these, you know, you would think I would have nothing relating with these big army army dudes you know firing guns and working out all day but man like they were like yeah like that song like when i had to leave you know away from my girl back home like that song was like what kept us going and what kept us and i'm like just mind blown that like man i had no yeah no concept that it would touch it would reach just that that Far and and to like somebody like that like in my mind probably not going to relate to but whatever story i told in that song whatever you know those lyrics they like i don't know they made it easier for a guy to be stationed somewhere like defending our country like i helped that guy somehow that's it's pretty pretty i was a couple
2: years (laughs) off from that when i deployed in 2004 it was uh three doors down. Here hmm. without you, I think was the name of the song.
4: Okay, so sure. If
2: I had deployed a couple years later, my daughter might have been named Delilah. Would have been Delilah. <laughs> nice. Even though her name now has nothing to do with Three Doors Down, but you know, it's <laughs> it's one of those things. But I know Mark's giving me the signal. What do you think for the the wild card round? And then we'll 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 continue this.
1: Well, you know what? It really doesn't matter because as Red Foreman <laughs> would call me, I'm a dumbass. I read the score wrong. <laughs> You know, the, the hot products round was actually worth two. So, Man Crush, you won this one. We never even oh. had to go to a wild card, but we wow. did anyway.
2: Yeah, we so, did anyway. We made it
4: fun. That's right. And you know what? Just to be fair, I would have probably, I was just at a Cubs game last night. So, I would have probably went with Man Crush anyway with the, uh, you know, the home runs and everything. So, there you go. Nice. <laughs>
3: and to show that there's no hard feelings, Tom, I did just buy a copy of Million Miler, the cassette album. No kidding! Oh, nice. Hey, thank
2: you, thank you. Do you have a cassette player? Yeah, I do. Oh, awesome! Look at the Walkman that
3: makes. It... You have a Walkman still that works? Mine doesn't work, but I do have a cassette player. <laughs> no, no, no. I have a. I have this LP, CD, cassette player I got for Christmas last year. So
4: nice. Is it Crosley by any chance? No, it's Trek Sonic. Okay,
3: because I I've.
4: It... I've had in in my little 80s, you know, revival mode here. I've been actually collecting cassette tapes, like old tapes. Um, And I've had a real problem finding decent like boom boxes or like tape players that they make now. Yeah. They all kind of sound like shit. But I found this one Crosley one. I don't know that brand that you just said, but this Crosley one that I found it was like 30 or 40 bucks, pretty cheap. And it sounds awesome. Uh so yeah, it is kind of a kind of a hard struggle to like find a good tape player right now. It's crazy. Well, I, I heard
3: I heard the reason that cassettes kind of sound like shit in, in recent cassette players is that they changed the mechanisms in them. Wow uh, around huh. like the 90s or something like that. They changed the mechanism and now it just makes the it makes the sound just completely not as good as it used to be. Um I could have been I I don't know the exact date they switched up the but that's why a lot of people will go to like thrift stores for like the old boom boxes and just use those or fix them up.
4: Totally. So, that's interesting. I didn't know that, but that totally Mark has a
3: pretty sick
2: one actually. Do you saw that double deck?
1: I uh, yeah, I got I got I got three of them.
4: Oh wow.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Mark has a
3: pretty sick one. I had to get a dual deck because you never know when you gotta wanna make a mixtape. Exactly. You know? yeah, or if you want to record something
4: off the know. radio.
3: Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm totally, totally like John Cusack and High Fidelity. Just, just make a great mixtape.
4: Oh yeah, now it's a Spotify playlist, of course. You know, Spotify yeah. playlist. But but I just but there's I nothing like you. there's totally. nothing
3: like just a physical copy you can hold in your hand.
4: Even and, just yep. writing out like the song titles and stuff on yeah, that little like, exactly yeah. yeah oh yeah totally
2: oh yeah, it can, it's it's kind of like renting movies. We talk about that all the time. Like. The whole art is taken out of it by like you could just throw a movie on a Netflix and be like you know watch thirty seconds and be like meh, and go to something else. There's no skin in the game. Like the whole, it it's no fun anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I don't
4: know about you guys. Real quick, I know you're wrapping it up, but on like for me, when I go on Netflix, it's kind of like I'm I I use the video store like mentality. Like I will search Netflix. For 25 yeah. minutes just to like find the movie to like turn on and then like close my eyes and go to sleep. But it's like the fun part yes. <laughs> is the browsing, like the yeah. video store, like you go in the video you, store and it's like, how wow. does your son
2: do it? How does your son pick stuff? Because my daughter is like, she'll just select
4: something immediately. Anything? And I'm like, anything. Yeah. Like, um, what, you know, what it's, doing? it's funny, my son, he's an old soul kind of like me and maybe because I am like, you know, so kind of deeply rooted in, in those things. I really do love, you know, kind of some of that stuff from the past. So he has a lot of that, uh, you know, those characteristics too, probably from me. Um, But he's also like, he'll put on some random thing. I'm like, why the hell are you watching? Like, this is so stupid. And you know, it's stupid. You know, you don't care about this, but yet you have it on. It's like, yeah. So he's, He's a good mix of both I think
3: I think what would be I, awesome I if, if Netflix had a layout option Where the movies would be Listed and the layout Would look like a video store yeah. Where you'd see the cover of a Ooh. film And if you wanted to see the description of it It would flip to the back And ah. show pictures of it with a description That would be cool But then again I don't think Netflix I don't think Netflix thinks there's enough People out there that Miss the video store format
2: I'm sure I'm sure they know. Yeah,
1: yeah, there's there's actually a group of people that are third party developers that are developing that for virtual reality right now.
2: Like a walk yeah, like a walkthrough. Yeah. Oh, which cool. bring back the whole event of going to rent something. But uh Tom, we're not we're not rushing you off or anything, but like I talked about before, like uh we had Brendan was on a couple weeks ago, he did teenage dirt bag. Even freaking Malachi from Children of the Corn broke out as an acoustic last week, and he he did one of his uh his original songs. Would
4: you do a song for us? I mean, I do have my guitar right here. I just did my oh, my works. little live Facebook thing. <laughs> um, let's see.
2: Do you have something from? Can do you do anything acoustic from Millie? I know there's a lot of mm. like '80s song, like '80s sound in there. So I don't know how it works, but I mean, it
4: does work acoustic. I was, uh, uh, let me think, hang on. So mm-hmm. uh. oh, I'm, I'm
0: just a teenage dirtbag <laughs> baby.
4: I'm just a teenage. It's in the wrong key, I think. Baby. Listen to Iron Maiden, maybe with me. Ooh. Yeah. Right. Anyway, that's my, my weedus for you guys.
2: <laughs> I'll play that for him when he comes back. Cause he's, I just talked to him on Friday and he, uh, for everybody listening, he, uh, Brendan wants to come back. He's like, dude, that was so much fun. So dude, it, Brendan will be back also.
4: Just like me, my say, you know, once is never enough. I, I love you guys. And, <laughs> and this is such a cool, cool concept for a podcast. It's so fun being, being the judge. So, so thanks for having me on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for coming, dude. Um let's see uh, a million miler song um I mean they're all I still write a lot of them just on acoustic guitar, so they would all translate um i love I love Zuma Beach
2: because they're- i don't know why i probably because I read an article about the Beach Boys and Zuma Beach at one point, so it reminds me of that, even though it's like an 80s sounding song um, I don't know if you could do that one Sure.
4: okay, Zuma Beach, Million Miler. If I can remember the, my own damn words. Here we go.
0: Such a beautiful night. You make everything right. 2 a.m. and there's no other car in sight. We're just driving along with the radio on. Pass the roads on the city, Malibu's overhead. At this time of the night, everyone's in bed. We'll get gas in the shell. Have the time with myself. I wanna kiss you on the star now it's a beach A strobe no blanket between the car and I would rather be here over anywhere. You and me by the show. Who could want any more? I want to kiss you under the stars now because want to be in the The whole ours when you lay with me. I want to kiss you under the stars down in Tua Beach. I want to kiss.
4: Here we go. (laughs) Nice. Now I'll put these back on so I can hear you guys.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now, how weird was that playing it to uh, three 40-year-old dudes? Like, as you were going, I was like, he's probably like, oh, this is kind
4: of weird right now. (laughs) Well, honestly, I'm used to doing, like uh, like I said, I do, for Plain White Tees, I've done a Wednesday night. It's called the Wednesday Club, where I play some songs live on Facebook every Wednesday. And it it was at first super weird to just be looking at yourself the whole time yeah, yeah, and just yeah, playing, yeah. but I've gotten so used to it. So it's actually been, it was kind of nice having faces at <laughs> least looking at me. So that, that was a good thing.
2: Dude, that was awesome. <laughs> it came out great and it was different hearing the song on acoustic. Yeah. And if you guys are into the song, go and check out the album. Cause it actually does have a great, 80s vibe to it, like everything about it. I think it really ties in. There it is, right there.
4: Yeah. Really. Also available for pre-order. I'm getting vinyl in in the next two weeks. So cassette That's... tape and vinyl for any of those, you know, vinyl files out there. So there you go. <laughs> for the super old people to listen to the show. <laughs> no, dude. You know what? Vinyl. <laughs> vinyl is actually outselling CDs. Yeah. You guys know that? Yeah
1: really yeah, for cool. the first time yeah. in forever this year
4: mm-hmm. but
2: tom dude thank you so much for coming on that was awesome thank you for playing the song and please come back anytime man we'll we'll do this again if you want to hook it up where like when brendan comes back we'll like get one of you guys if <laughs> you want to just show up as a contestant and brendan will be the judge
4: <laughs> hey whatever man Hell yeah, dude! Yeah, I'm da- I'm down. I love you guys. I love the the format. The show is great. So yeah, we'll do it again for sure. would be All awesome. Right.
2: awesome. All right, awesome. And before you go, are you guys are you doing any tours or doing anything like that?
4: Uh so Plain White T's are actually starting up. We're we're playing a show next weekend in Las Vegas. So nice. that's like the first, our first. Like you said, you just went to a concert last weekend. This is our first uh, full band. I've done a couple little acoustic things, very small, you know, intimate you know, uh, COVID friendly things. Um, but this is our first full band like back on a big stage with a real crowd, uh, since the pandemic. So it's going to be cool. Awesome. So yeah, stuff like that is starting up, looking to book some million miler. I've actually got a a call tomorrow with our booking agent, uh, about doing some million miler shows this fall. So, uh, hopefully I'll bring the bring the eighties to some, uh, you know, cool clubs around.
1: You know what you should do? You should see if you could get Million Miler to open for Plain White Tees.
4: <laughs> Ooh, you know, I know people. I wouldn't want to steal the show, though, you know, upstairs yeah. <laughs> to Plain White Tees, you know? <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, believe, believe me, all that stuff. It's like if you
2: come out this way, so I'd fun. love to I'd love to check it out. Oh, yeah.
4: Well, yeah, either with the Tees or with uh Million Miler, I'm sure we will eventually. You guys said you're New York area, right? Yeah. yeah yeah for sure well thank you guys yeah but i now now i do have to pee i made the joke earlier but now it's getting to that point so <laughs> all
2: right you go do that before there's a problem yeah
4: bro. hell yeah but yeah see you guys soon for sure and in person maybe that'd be dope all right sweet i look forward to it oh
2: yeah right. awesome thanks all right, right. tom take care see tom thanks again bro see ya. take care
1: all right duelers well unfortunately we're gonna have to end this episode right here but don't worry You can always go over to DuelingDecades.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are available. Then remember, head on over to our YouTube page, subscribe, hit the little notifications bell. That's going to help us out as well. So until next time, Duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy, but not until we kick it over to Man Crush.
2: (laughs) One last thing, I swear to God. (laughs) podtv.live right. uh go over to podtv.live if you watch this on youtube and you don't feel like going over your computer or watching on your phone and you have a fire stick or a roku or apple tv or any of those cool things just download the podtv app and we're right on there. We They haven't given us a time slot yet, but you can go right to Dueling Decades. And you can watch the entire episode, which is the cool thing over YouTube, where we split it up per round. This is actually the entire thing. So podtv.live. Sorry, Mark. Ed.
1: No, it's all right. Podtv is awesome, man. Everyone should be checking that out. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone.
0: Podcast New York, York. be heard.